Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey folks, welcome to episode two of the Black Duck Revival podcast. This week, my guest will be Bradley Robinson of Chud's Barbecue in Austin, Texas. Bradley is a barbecue pit master, he's a welder and metal fabricator, and he's a YouTube content creator with a fantastic channel called Chud's Barbecue. I think that channel is demonstrable not just of Bradley's great wealth of knowledge involving the skills and methodologies of barbecue, but also it's demonstrable of the fact that Bradley is on or near the cutting edge of American barbecue today. Uh, with his approach and kind of his chef's mind that he's bringing to it. I also really appreciate the fact that Bradley has built this multi-tiered approach to this discipline, and he's cooking in a way, in a style that's really physically demanding, and he's even carrying that idea of working with his hands to an even uh, higher or more difficult level, let's say, by teaching himself to weld and to work with metal, and now he also has a thriving business where he's building and designing barbecue pits. I'm fascinated with all Southern cooking styles, barbecue being chief among those. And right now I'm kind of on a deep dive investigating the intersections of wild food and cooking with fire and cooking with smoke and trying to figure out how I can contribute to that continuum, uh, that food style. And being able to watch Bradley's videos and kind of cut my learning curve down on some of the finer points of barbecue as I really learned this skill set has been invaluable for me. I so appreciate Bradley's willingness to uh, have this conversation with me. I had a great time. We recorded this interview uh, some weeks back, and you'll hear us make mention of us waiting for the results to come out about a top 50 barbecue list that we had a suspicion about what the ranking of Leroy and Lewis uh, was going to be, and that's a project that you'll hear more about in this interview that Bradley's had a lot to do with. But I'm happy to announce that they did achieve that supposed ranking, and it's kind of firmly placed Leroy and Lewis and uh, Bradley in the lexicon of the best barbecue coming out of America today. So again, this is Bradley Robinson of Chud's Barbecue. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Thanks very much. All right, so today I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm on my way back from a uh, hunt with Jesse Griffiths and the new school of traditional cookery. But since I was coming through Austin, I wanted to stop and uh, chat with a newish friend that I made recently, I guess this summer, uh, this gentleman, Bradley Robinson of Chud's Barbecue. Uh, him and his buddy, Evan Leroy, came up from Austin and did a catfishing trip. Uh, maybe, I think July. Uh, they were great. They're exactly the kind of people I like having up there. And 
I'm actually glad it went down the way it did. Uh, I'd been communicating with Evan before they came up, and he had sent me some links to some YouTube stuff that they were doing and uh, mentions of the restaurant Leroy and Lewis. And just frankly, it's not that I wasn't interested. I was just kind of consumed with my own stuff and busy. And it was just one of those deals where I felt like I was scrambling to get up to the lodge when we were uh, going to do that trip a little more than I'd scrambling a little more than I'd like to normally. And, uh, then I just started hanging out with them and they were super fun and really smart. And, uh, I quickly figured out that they were, uh, they were, they were up to stuff that I should probably delve into a little bit myself. So as I did that about midway through the trip, I, uh, I was really stoked that I hadn't looked into it beforehand because I probably would have been nervous. Uh, anyway, uh, Bradley Robinson, as I said before of Chud's barbecue, he's a pit master here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I've last couple years, I've been going down a barbecue rabbit hole, uh, very much focused on kind of traditional black barbecue, uh, direct cooking, like cinder block pits and whole hog stuff. Uh, and I really wasn't too keyed into the whole idea of Texas barbecue and what was going on down here as far as the traditions of, you know, offset smokers and, uh, not a lack of seasoning, but a simple seasoning, you know, like salt and pepper in this barbecue culture that's uh, so finely enmeshed in the uh, the culture and the fabric of Texas. But anyway, I found myself, you know, uh, starting a few days after this initial trip, uh, sitting on my exercise bike in the mornings and watching these Chud barbecue videos and quickly became obsessed and Super impressed by everything this guy's doing, and I'm uh, really glad, even after that long introduction, really glad to to be here. So, uh, Brad, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. And as you were mentioning, that, that fishing trip we went on a couple months back was a whole lot of fun. And uh, I kind of appreciate your approach, approach too, to you know going into it. Again, I didn't do any research into what you were doing and like just having that real honest meeting and like discovering what each other are doing, I think was really, uh, was really valuable and a lot of fun. And also that catfish came out great. I'm sure you saw the videos. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was super cool. And then I guess you guys were, well, let's okay. So we've established your barbecue guy down here in Texas. Uh, and that we first met when you came up and I guided you and Evan Leroy on a trip going after a catfish. But, uh, man, like, yeah, maybe just explain kind of why you were catching catfish in the first place. And, That'll, I think, pretty naturally lead into how you got to Texas and what you're doing professionally and your brand and all that stuff. Yeah, so uh, I've been down in Texas for almost 10 years now, and I came from New Hampshire. That's where I was just up visiting the last week or so. And when I got to Texas, I kind of caught the barbecue bug, and that was that, you know, finding this whole cuisine that I didn't know much about because it's really not prevalent in the, in the Northeast. And after trying it, I really was curious, like, how to cook it. And I started talking to all the different pitmasters in town and all that stuff. And long story short, that led me to a job with Evan Leroy, who we uh, who we went fishing with. And Evan and I, over the last few years at Leroy and Lewis, have been trying to just take a different approach to barbecue and just trying to get a whole view on the cooking process. We're starting to look into, you know, hunting and fishing and locally sourced meats and stuff is a big, uh, a big aspect of the Roy and Lewis. So that got us into the, the mindset of fishing and every year for the last, well, two years, 
we've been doing this catfish competition at Leroy and Lewis, which is kind of a internal competition just for team morale and just to do something a little different than cooking the same barbecue all the time. We where we have a catfish competition cook-off where every team member brings a different dish, a different style, and uh, whoever is deemed the winner will then go on to do a like a pop-up at the truck. And like I said, this was uh, year number two, so we wanted to do something a little bit different. And you know, with uh, the whole ethos of Leroy and Lewis in mind, why not catch the catfish ourselves? And that's what led us to you. Evan heard about you through uh, through Jesse. And uh, that's how he linked all this up. And then we go up to Arkansas, caught some beautiful catfish, brought them back. And, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, man, it was. It really was. was I'm not trying to blow smoke up each other's ass, but it was super fun. Uh, I was really intrigued just by not just your kind of passion and your involvement in this, like, specific kind of cuisine, but with both of you guys, you have a, you have a lot of business acumen and – you know, as a person who's developing a business and trying to grow a business to, you know, sustain me and my family. I just appreciate people that are going about things, you know, in a slightly non-traditional way and finding their own niche and then finding real success with it. Uh, and so anyway, let's just kind of roll back a little bit because I think it's I think it's pretty interesting how you got into this space. Uh, and I've just seen through some of your videos that I consume on YouTube that, you know, you came down here, uh, like me years ago, you're heavily involved in music and, uh, making music and music production. And that's kind of where you initially saw your life going. And I imagine that's part of the reason you came to Austin and yeah, then you disseminated into this decidedly different path. Although maybe not that different. I mean, the whole reason I'm involved in food is because I played music and, you know, working manual labor jobs and working in kitchens kind of go hand in hand with uh, musicianship. But mm -hmm. anyway, man, so tell me a little bit about that. So, you, I mean, you're coming from, and like we said before, you're coming from New Hampshire, which, you know, truthfully, I, you might be the only person from New Hampshire I've ever met. It's, it's a place I know exists, but I know Zanzibar exists too. You, yeah. you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't have it. Like, I don't have a uh, negative connotations of New Hampshire. I, I probably just think of like fall, uh, you know, like beautiful colors and like fall leaves and I don't know, white people wearing sweaters, like probably. <laughs> Flannels mostly. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> See, shows yeah, I know. Yeah, all those all those small states kind of blend together just in, I mean, that's why it's New England as a whole, you know what I mean, where it's, but yeah, so yeah, I grew up in New Hampshire and uh, went to college in Maine. I went to school for audio engineering, so that's what brought me, after after school I was looking for a scene better than small town northern Maine to try and build a music career and the live music capital of the world Austin Texas seemed like the right place to be because again New England is not known for uh, much of a social scene unless you're in the city like Boston or maybe up in Burlington so after that I was really looking to get somewhere warm just to change a pace so that's what brought me to Texas and I knew nothing about about Austin or Texas in general, just moving down here, which is why I was kind of like blown away by like the culture shock of it. When I found like all these new cuisines, like, like the Tex-Mex and the Mexican influence down here, that doesn't make much reach up to New Hampshire. You know what I mean? And then same with the barbecue. That was, yeah, something you know, I never, when I left and started to interrupt you, but when I left St. Louis 20 years ago, uh, there either wasn't, or I just was not aware of a large, uh, Latino presence or contingency. Uh, 
And, like, I was 20 years old, I think, before I ever had an avocado. Yeah. Like, I might have been – I was probably in high school before I ever heard of one. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's – it is such a weird thing to where you – everyone assumes that what's normalized for them is like that for everyone else. And stuff – I think much less so now because we're dealing with such kind of like a global society. But, yeah, just the idea that, like, Tex-Mex is this – provocative cuisine for somebody right well like i talked about it in uh, one of my videos where when i came down here was within the first three days i had my first fresh flour tortilla you know and every before that a tortilla was like a sandwich wrapped from you know subway or something like that yeah like know? a mission tortilla exactly in a ziploc bag i yeah. was like i'd never once longed for a tortilla until i had a fresh fluffy warm one i was like oh my god this is actually really good you know what I mean? And that's and just like all of those realizations is kind of what helped me really get into cooking because especially, you know, how I grew up, it was a lot of just home cooked meals and various just kind of boilerplate standard stuff. And so once I was, and like you're saying too, it's because I was, you know, 20 years old. I also wasn't really seeking anything out. Sure. It was just like whatever was handed to me. And so once I actually had my eyes open to all this different stuff, it kind of, it took uh, it took me by surprise because I never really thought I'd end up in the culinary world at all. Okay, so you get down here to Austin, and uh, I no. So you get down here to Austin. Uh, how do you end up working in a restaurant, and how do you end up at Leroy and Lewis? So I first moved down here, and I I did get a job in the in the music scene. It wasn't anything too fancy. I was just working with a local guy who did. Uh, a lot of freelance work, so I'd help him do a whole bunch of random gigging around, you know, whether it's setting up speakers for a high school prom or, you know, doing DJing for a Little League game or, like, karaoke. Like, it was completely random what we were doing. It was a lot of fun because it wasn't monotonous, but at the same time, it was very inconsistent. So then I started thinking about, like, what can I do? You know, I also I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, you know what I mean? I expected to be in a band or like land a job at a recording studio and take that path. And I just was struggling to find that because I knew to the city and I just wasn't in the know. And to be honest, I really wasn't trying that hard because I think that passion was starting to fade. And while that passion was fading, the whole cooking in the backyard thing started picking up because like I was mentioning, I started eating the local barbecue and it was so intriguing because I was talking to people, the the pitmasters at these places, and they're like, yeah, it's just an old propane tank that I welded into a smoker, took this cheap big cut of meat, threw some salt and pepper on it, and it's like this mind-blowing end result. So I started cooking in the backyard. Man, let's interject here real quick. Real real fast, uh, give like your, if you would, give your uh, your elevator pitch on what Texas barbecue is. Texas barbecue, I mean, I pretty much nailed it. What I loved about it was the simplicity of it. Right. It wasn't a bunch of injections and fancy rubs and all these little tips and tricks. It was just bare bone, just uh, <clears throat> kind of like caveman style almost. Right. It's like meat, fire, simple seasoning. And it's just through the process of that, like maintaining a proper fire and low and slow cooking. The end result far outweighs what went into it. And that's something that really spoke to me because it wasn't like this fancy technique or this fancy knife or this, you know, ridiculous cut from like a Wagyu cow or something. You take the worst cut and just by caring for it and putting in 
the effort and the and the time you can get something that I had never experienced before because I, I mean I never had brisket before I moved to Texas. Yeah, and brisket. I mean, brisket is. I think that's probably what most people would think of when they first think of Texas barbecue. They're yeah, that's that specific the, cut. That's the poster boy. Yeah, and when you're talking about the worst cut of meat, I mean, what you're really saying is like uh, something that does not respond to to quick cooking. Something that's gonna. I mean, basically something that's full of. You know, in the hunting world, we talk about silver skin, uh, but, you know, basically like fascia, uh, fibrotic tissue, yeah, uh, stuff that's tough and chewy and kind of stringy. And what it's really going to require is uh, 180 to 190 degrees. You know, we're talking internal temperature of meat at a sustained for a sustained length of time, you know, usually at least a few hours, which is going to transform that fibrotic tissue into that, you know, silky kind of just delicious mouth coat. This, it, to me, it's like just what I think about when you when you envision a pot roast. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and what's going to do that is, you know, sufficient heat and a, a long, sustained cooking process. But anyway, so you're uh, – so you feel like you're you're kind of equally pulled with or you're drawn initially because this stuff tastes really good, but then the ethos behind it and kind of the physicality in it and the investment of time yeah. is uh, something that you're finding resonant for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just playing – like cooking with fire was something that I never, I never saw growing up. You know, growing up in the 90s, it was like, you know, hungry man dinners or lunchables. If you're a kid, like everything was yeah. like the nineties was a terrible time for food, especially if you were a kid, you the know, chicken breast. Yeah. The chicken, like fat was evil. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like, like what you're just saying for me growing up, beef was burgers or steak. You know, a steak is, you know, everything was really lean, you know, it was before like prime grade and waggy stuff was really popular. And it was just like medium rare steak on a plate done and then i come down here and i find this really fatty cut that's full of the connective tissue that then they break down slowly and it takes on that gelatinous feel to it it was like like meat jello for lack of a better term mm-hmm. and I'm like that's something i'd never experienced and to find out that it's like a trash piece of meat cooked on an old propane tank that someone would probably just trying to get rid of just with a wood fire. I mean, something about that just, like, really clicked. Man, so uh, I'll be totally honest with you, man. It's If you if anybody goes, and they should, Chud's Barbecue on YouTube, uh, Brad does a really fantastic job creating content. He's uh, producing this all himself and editing it. Uh, his personality very much shines through. Uh, and it makes it fun and very approachable. Uh, but truthfully, man, there's lots of people that are making – food that tastes good and there's lots of people now i didn't realize how many people were uh in this barbecue scene and you know i mean i'm trying to think there's that uh there's that meat scientist guy and mm-hmm. i mean people that are getting a hundred thousand views in 24 hours like this is heavily consumed content and all of those people are making really delicious stuff what i think really attracted me to what you're doing is that that combination of that intersection of intentional food preparation and this kind of down and dirty blue collar uh, manufacturing side, you know, like I'm a guy that likes to work with his hands and I like to be outside and uh, you know, I I like to, I like to feel like I'm exerting, you know, 
physical force in some of my activities. And yeah, you're talking about these big, heavy vessels, you know, like, and let's take a minute there. Cause I, I think you'd be surprised. You know, you're so immersed in this world. Like I bet you a lot of people have no idea what an offset smoker is. So maybe let's describe that a little bit and then we can, that'll be a great segue in, into uh, all the building and manufacturing that you're doing. Yeah, an offset smoker, it's the traditional Texas cooker. It's basically that the the fire is, instead of being directly under the meat, it's off to the side. It's got a horizontal airflow to it. And it works really well because you can cook with full logs and you're cooking with the heat from the coal bed, from the logs, and also you get all that smoke running across the meat. So it's a convective cooker, which helps you really build up a good bark as well as speeding up the cooking process. And you don't get that... Uh, that blast like that Maillard that you get from grilling or direct heat, Mm -hmm. but you get all that smoke flowing across and it kind of builds up its own bark and its own flavor. And, uh, that, especially for something like a brisket that's going to be cooking for, you know, 12, 15 hours, you don't want to over smoke it, which is why an offset works really well. If you were to do that on a direct a direct heat pit, which is, it's doable. I've done it, but you're a, a lot more likely to dry it out or have it come out hard or crunchy as opposed to something like an offset, which is more gentle. And it's, again, like you were saying, with uh, with all the connective tissue that needs to break down low and slow, it's a pretty gentle way of cooking a piece of meat for that long without, you know, just blasting the hell out of it and ending up with leather. Yeah, and you mentioned the Maillard effect, which if folks aren't familiar with that, that is the – that's what's happening when you're – you know, you're kind of getting these roasty caramelization notes. So it's what is, it's what that whole, like, do you remember those commercials from the nineties about the best part of waking up is folders in your cup mm-hmm. and like, you know, some kid from college coming home at Christmas morning at four in the morning and he makes coffee to wake everybody up and folks smell that, that, that roasty, just, just kind of evocative smell and taste is what we're talking about. With the Maillard effect. It's what's happened when you, uh, when you sear a steak off, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people don't realize that when you braise, if you're braising meat and most braising recipes are going to call for you to sear the meat off first and then stick it in the pan. Like the searing isn't doing anything really effective, excuse me, effectively the cooking process. What it's doing is it's creating those flavor notes Mm -hmm. that are then going to intensify over that long, slow cooking period. But so anyway, so that's what an offset smoker is. Uh, You know, it looks like, I mean, and just to describe it, if you took a soda can and turned it sideways, so it was like horizontal, and then you had a a half of a soda, or I guess effectively like a a third of a soda can, stuck up against the the ass end of that can, dropped down halfway. That's kind of what it looks like. Uh, But so so you're involved in this, you're, uh, you start talking to these pit masters, and you're doing a whole lot of backyard home barbecue and, and getting your skills up and feeling like I'm sure you're having your friends and family over and, and folks are saying, Hey man, this stuff is pretty good, man. You should get, you should do something with this. Yeah. I mean, my story is like the classic story of most people who are in the barbecue industry today where I had that one bite that kind of changed my life that I was like, now I want to do this. And then I started cooking it and I was like, Hey, this is good. You should uh, do this professionally. So then I said, okay, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. And that's where I met Evan Leroy. So I hopped on Craigslist back in uh, 2014, 2015, and I saw Friedman's was hiring. That's where he was working at the time. So I went up there, and I met him. He hired me on, and I was there for about 
two years, year and a half before he opened up Roy and Lewis. So then after that, I went over there and I've been there for the last four years or so. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, Evan's just got this very unique perspective on barbecue because he's kind of got a chef-driven background. So instead of just trying to do the staples, he's really trying to explore what barbecue can be as a, a cuisine as opposed to just a, a like an item. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of just like the traditional brisket ribs and sausage, which is great, but there's, you know, a hundred people doing that just in Austin. He's trying to explore what else it could be. And that really fit with my whole mentality too, of just trying to, you know, not blend in with the pack, you know, just trying to have my own voice and be a little bit different and stand out. And yeah, we've had a great time working together for the last four years. But, uh, when he opened that place up, he needed a smoker to build Leroy and Lewis with. And he, with the same mentality, he said, I don't want to just buy a commercially made one or, you know, one that everyone else has. So he bought himself a welder and a propane tank on Craigslist and just started kind of chipping away at it for a few years. And that's where, and along that time, I was also in the market for a backyard smoker. And again, I'm like, I don't want to spend, you know, 300 bucks on one from Home Depot that's going to rust out. So I said, hey, can I borrow your welder? And I too bought a propane tank. And that's when I built that one in the backyard after watching a lot of YouTube videos on how to weld. And that's kind of what got me into the welding scene. And uh, that's what also where Evan got that big 500-gallon pit that they're cooking on down mm-hmm. in Ryan Lewis. Yeah, we went – basically, we drove into Austin on Thursday, and uh, my wife and I, and we went straight – to Leroy and Lewis, we've got a good friend Carly from Little Rock, and she's down here in Austin now. So she met us over there, and uh, Evan was cool and came over and said, "Hey," uh, brought his little girl, super cute. And then he just like hooked it up and said, "Give him everything on the on the menu, man." And I was like, "I don't, I don't want to act like this, but this is what I've been hoping is going to happen for <laughs> weeks and weeks." It's good to know people. Oh man, dude, and uh, you know, like asked for a tour of the trailer where the smoke is right, and you've got like a big chud pit in there, and there's because I watch your videos. There's all these like little chud touches on stuff, and I'm like, that's a chud thing. That's a chud thing. Uh, but that was super cool to see too. Cause and I'll tell you what I love about that pit that they're doing everything on over there, and this first pit that you built in your backyard is, and it's the first thing that Evan said to me, man, is that there's the welds are splattery. You know, like it, you can tell it's somebody who was learning and hasn't honed it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, like with welds, people talk about, like, you want to look like a stack of dimes or whatever. But yeah, it, there's no dimes on either Evan's <laughs> first pit or my first pit. But it, you know what's great? It doesn't need to. Yeah, and it it's works. completely functional. It looks cool as shit. Uh, nine out of ten people would see that thing and say, man, that is like this rad, you know, kind of rusty, patinaed, steampunk looking. Mm-hmm. looks like a big giant engine or something, you know? And... uh the fact that some of those pieces aren't perfect and that it still produces amazing, amazing food. Uh, like, I mean, this won't come, I guess tomorrow is when that, uh, top 50 list from the Austin Chronicle comes out mm-hmm. and, uh, strong suspicions that little Leroy and Lewis is going to place very highly on that. And it's, you know, talking to Evan, it's probably going to be transformative for the business. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the fact that, this very simple vessel is the uh, is the vessel, you know, for this creative force. 
and like yeah. you know a, a place where like thought and friendship and technique and all these things and creativity are kind of just all mashing up together. I mean, like when we were over there, we ate. Uh, obviously, like Leroy and Lewis is known for these uh, coffee beef cheeks. Mm-hmm. They're phenomenal. Man, I think one of my favorite things was the lamb sausage, especially since I'm so heavily involved in wild game. There was just that slight little bit of – it wasn't gamey, but just that, like, funk in a good way, like George Clinton funk, you know, that lets you know that this is this is not some homogenized product. This was a sentient live creature, and there's, you know, the terroir of whatever they were eating is involved in it. Uh, I really – it might seem simple, man, but that's probably top – four or five burgers I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, and that pork and rice hash, man. You know, mm. like, I'm a rice and gravy kind of guy, and that stuff was phenomenal. And then that barbacado, man. And I Take wouldn't, I would not have thought that that's, I would respond like that, but, man, it was so damn good. Uh, and then the kimchi. I mean, everything on it was so good. Uh, but anyway, let's talk more about Chud stuff. So, so you build this uh, reputation and this, you know, uh, you become a professional barbecue person. You become a pit master, I guess. Mm. Uh, and then, as you told me when you're up uh, fishing, I guess, what, about a year, year and a half ago or so, you kind of leaned into this content creation. Uh, I mean, basically, you're making short, you know, 14 minutes. I mean, they're like it's little TV shows, basically. Uh, not little. I mean, they're, they're TV shows just on YouTube, I guess, which is the way we consume TV now. Uh they come out weekly and super well done and super informative. And I'm like, there's not as, there has been a single episode of it that I've watched that I haven't learned something, uh, and, you know, try to figure out how to do it and put enough of a spin on it that then it can be mine, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, which is, I mean, that's how music and cooking and all that stuff goes. You know, like we talked about when you guys were up there, like you can't patent a recipe, but you've got some very, you've got a few very distinctive things very quickly that are are very much associated with you. Like this foil boat technique is I'm blown away with how many people are posting about this foil boat brisket technique you've developed. Uh, So yeah, man, just tell me about, so you've got two aspects of Chud's barbecue. You have this video side of it and then you have the manufacturing side. So I'll stop talking so much, man. Just like, tell me about like what you do and what's, what's bringing you joy and where you see it all going. Yeah, the whole content side of thing or side of things was me just trying to look ahead. You know, I could see the big rise in barbecue, not just I mean in Texas, but I mean Austin, Austin specifically, but also across the country. Like everyone's getting into it, and North uh, Carolina's gotten real big with it. Yeah, Rodney Scott. Yeah, the whole yeah. hog is blowing up, brisket's blowing up, and I just I mean I consume most of my like you were just saying I consume most of my content on youtube mm-hmm. i mean i mean i don't have cable tv anymore you know what i mean so sure and i was i watch a lot of cooking shows that's how how i really like learned how to cook and how i've learned a lot of things along the way is watching other people do these cooking shows and it's something i always wanted to do and uh i kind of realized a couple of years back that there wasn't really anyone with my style of cooking like the central texas style of cooking that's got a consistent show going mm-hmm. and i felt like that was a big hole that needed to be filled and it just seemed like right time right place and because you know i'm working with evan and i'm you know kind of on that that new school vibe of not just hammering in the tradition but also kind of innovating with new stuff like the barbacado and doing different sausage making and stuff like that it just seemed like 
like a no-brainer to try and put that out to the Is the, the barbacado yours? I was definitely involved. I mean, a lot of the things in on those menus are things that, like, Evan and I will talk about after a few beers. Like the barbacado, I remember we were we were out at a bar. We were just talking about new menu ideas. And I said, let's do avocado toast. We're in Austin. Let's just lean into the hipster vibe, you know, just kind of bullshitting a little bit. And then that night for dinner, like before before this conversation, my girlfriend made stuffed avocados with shrimp. And I'm like, let's do a stuffed avocado with barbacoa and call it the barbacado. And that was just like a one-off line. And then the night went on. And then, of course, come Monday, I go in and Evan's got the barbacado on the menu. I'm like, oh, you took that seriously? And then he, like, perfected it with all the garnishes and, like, scoring it and just, like, made a full dish out of it. I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, examples of that. Like, like the Thanksgiving split is another one that we do every every Thanksgiving. One time, Evan and I were at an event and we had, like, an hour or two to kill. So we are just kind of shooting ideas back and forth. I'm like, what can we do that's like a banana split with a sausage? And he's like, well, Thanksgiving is coming up. Let's just throw some mashed potatoes and like all these different sides in there and split the sausage down the middle. And I'm like, yeah, that's funny. And again, I thought that was just like a bored conversation. But then come in the next day and Evan's got it made. It's on the menu. Bestseller. But I mean, that's kind of the beauty of uh, doing what we're doing there too is the fact that it's not traditional is like we've got all these. There's no bounds, you know what I mean. As long as we're cooking the Texas style way, like kind of paying respect to where it came from, we can really kind of just try and push the push the envelope to be a little bit different than the guy down the street. And it's a lot of fun to be honest. Just to, instead of because at Friedman's where we were before, we were pretty much brisket ribs and sausage all the time. And for two years, I'm cooking the same thing every day and it just gets monotonous and that's another reason why i started leaning into the content creation side of things is because i was starting to burn out you know working barbecue is pretty tough you know like some mornings you're up at five in the morning like your day starts at five and ends at five and then other nights other days i would work from like eight till eight eight till like midnight and like just working with fire smoke in the eyes Mm. It's uh, after five, ten years of it, it gets pretty old. So I was thinking to myself one day, I'm like, you know, I don't want to be flipping burgers, even though it's a really great burger, yeah. as you mentioned. I don't want to be doing this for the next 20 years. So how can I use my skills in another way to b- bring something useful to the world where I'm not, you know, smelling like smoke all the time? And that's so. With all that put together, that's where the YouTube channel kind of came from. So I dove in, bought a camera, learned how to use it. And just, yeah, like you were saying, consistency is really the name of the game for YouTube. It's like, it's because it is, it's a TV show. You have to put out an episode every week, sometimes twice a week. And just, uh, it's, an, it's a whole nother grind. But at, this, at least I'm in my home, not sweating all the time nowadays. Man, so, and I think I, I said Ronnie Scott was North Carolina. Is he South Carolina? Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. I haven't been to Ronnie Scott be honest i've had them at festivals but i haven't spent much time in the carolinas we're heading out there in a couple of weeks so i'm pretty excited about oh that. really yeah. what are you doing out there we're going to charleston for a uh, barbecue fest oh cool it should be a lot of fun charleston is like you know i guess texas is the south i mean texas is almost like its own thing arkansas is definitely the south you know part of arkansas is definitely the deep south but like charleston is a you know, really, and this is a weird kind of aside, but 
the South, you know, we're talking about like the founding of the South with European colonization. It was really an attempt to recreate a, a European aristocracy, mm-hmm. you know, and Charleston is to me, Charleston is like one of the seats of that, you know, it's like this old aristocratic culture. I mean, amazing food and there's, you know, the relationship with the ocean and, and all that stuff, but it's a, uh, I don't know. I guess kind of when I think of Charleston, I think of like people riding in wagons, <laughs> like, you know, with beautiful white horses and like, uh, I almost think of like, a an interview with a vampire, like people wearing like f- white shirts with frills on them and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so yeah, you're doing this really awesome show on YouTube. That's grown substantially. Like, like I really do, man. Like it's probably one of the things I've watched the most in the last few months and like enough that I've seen it go from, I think when I started watching it, you had like 60,000 subscribers and now you're all the way up to 80,000. Uh, and, and I, and it's also too, I watch it. Uh, I watch how quick the views get put on it. You know, it's, it's like pretty consistent, man. Like give it 48 hours and get 20,000 views, which is, I'm just kind of peripherally getting involved in, you know, like media and like having people film me or whatever. And I know how difficult that is and how hard that is to maintain. Uh, but then on the other side of it, you've got, and it makes so much sense too, because I'm sure that I well, obviously that YouTube show is going to fuel people wanting to consume more from you. And you're building these really, really amazing, beautiful uh, kind of pieces of like functional industrial folk art uh, in these pits. And so you've got, several different models you've got kind of the more traditional uh offset smokers you have these direct pits these chud pits which uh i've even dug around enough to see like other barbecue people like taking ideas from you like building things that look very you can see like the doors on it are chud-esque or that uh v-shape uh holder you've got in your firebox which makes a lot of sense so like yeah tell me about that too yeah the welding side uh it kind of took out, took off from underneath me. Where, like I mentioned, I just wanted a smoker for the backyard, so I borrowed Evan's welder and I built one. And then you know, you build one, someone sees it, like my buddy Matt. He's like, "Oh, I want one of those." I'm like, All right, I'll build you one. And then you know, it just kind of kept snowballing from there until I did a podcast with the guys from Tales from the Pits. They came over, we sat right here, and we talked about the smoker building stuff. And from there, you know, all of a sudden there's 30 pits on order. And it's like it kept growing pretty naturally from there. And then once I started the YouTube channel, my first video was me showing how I build smokers. And from there, it just kind of took off. And, yeah, we've got, uh, what, five different types. I mean, two main main styles. We've got the offset smoker, which we have two sizes of, both backyard-sized. One's a little bigger than the other. And then we've got the the direct heat pits, the the chud boxes. And those are what really what I like because my offsets, like like you said, there's a few tweaks to it that make it my own. Like the fact that I put a charcoal grill on top of the firebox. I love, hey man, I love that, dude. Multifunction. I, that's what I'm, it's all about. And hey, we've talked about it. I'm next week. I'm going to uh, North Carolina to my buddy's welding shop, and I'm gonna have my own uh, offset smoker. And I'm I will credit you fully, man. But I'm trying to do it. Do that same thing. Do it. I highly recommend it. And that's the thing. It's like I mean. In this industry, both of what I'm doing, whether it's video making or, you know, the 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 food that I'm cooking or the pits that I'm building, like, people are going to uh, mimic it. 
And that's something that a long time ago I made a stance. Like, I'm never going to be a dick about that on the Internet. But you see it a lot, you know. And it's like you're saying, as long as you give credit where credit's due, that's a-okay. But, like, the fact is there's there's people in different states that are building identical things and selling them. And yeah. It's just like, it's, it's just be cool, man. Just be cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, it's uh... – like that whole idea that imitation is the greatest form of flattery is there's a lot of truth to it. And it's also bullshit, you know, right. like there's also just ripping somebody off. Right. And especially when someone's like making, like you're making your living doing this now, right. you know? Uh, but it, there, there is something really cool about it when you can take a step back and realize that like what you're doing is you're influencing the zeitgeist. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're informing the tapestry of this cuisine that, you fell in love with man and that is super cool it doesn't mean that you want people ripping you off and messing up your bottom line necessarily but man you know that's what that's people are chate when people are kind of chasing fame and attention what they're really pursuing is influence Mm -hmm. like this mix of influence and respect and uh consideration from other people yeah and while I have a lot of feelings about f- folks that I think are, or I, f- you know, I kind of like to try and stay understated and maybe even enigmatic a little bit. And some of that's just a protection mes- mechanism, but some of it too is that I, you get a little too hubristic when you're, you're constantly saying, look at me, look at me. Right. But what they're doing is I think what they're doing is it's kind of a perversion of that idea of like having something important enough to add to the zeitgeist for people to want to look at you, you know? So anyway, that's a long way of saying that, uh, imitation is a best form of flattery. Yeah. I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head too, with like the whole eyes on you thing. It it is, it's, it's a, it's a weird place to be, but at the end of the day, it's like the bottom line here is like, that's why I don't get mad at these people. Like, the only the only time it's ever really come up is when people that are fans of me start harassing other people. Oh, really? You know, like I've never reached out to anyone. Like you're gonna, I mean, I have videos showing you how to build what I build. Sure. Right? If I did that and didn't expect people to build it, then I'm a fool. But then again, there's other people like you're ripping him off, and like these these welders have reached out. Man, like, hey man, I'm sorry if I offended you. Will you call off the army? <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. no man, it's not my fault. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, that's why I have the hashtag Chudspiration. I'll just throw that on there and let it go because at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to help people, right? Like that's these are tutorials. This is like it's an enter. That's what I love about YouTube. It's entertaining. It's entertainment meets learning. Which yeah. is like whether it's a recipe, whether it's sausage making, whether it's welding, or just showing you because I'm a cook first, I'm a welder second, and so the pits I build are out of what like flaws I see in what I've already cooked on. So mm. of course I want people to build that. And I want people to have that, and you know, like you're saying, be have a new voice and a new product and be part of the zeitgeist and try and progress. Yeah, no, man, I think you got a great attitude about it. Uh, I might try and repurpose some of that attitude for some of my own projects and the zeitgeist information will continue. Uh, man, so I'll tell you what, I guess, I guess this is, this podcast is, so like the little, the original copy I wrote was, was something about, uh, you know, basically me talking to people and this is weird too for me, but I guess now I'm kind of in the hunting industry and people know me as, like a guide of sorts and, you know, waterfowl and fish and whatever else. 
Uh, but like the, the whole idea of this podcast is really supposed to be like talking to interesting people that have found a way to formulate their own intersection of like thoughtful consideration and just tactile work, like getting your hands dirty, which is obviously what's so resonant about what you're doing uh, to me. And I've completely lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was talking about at all. Uh, but, or maybe, let me ask you this, because maybe that's not what I was originally saying, but this is what I'm thinking about now. Why is it important to you? I mean, because like you're saying, you're a cook. And you're working with really well-respected, you become a well-respected and working with well-respected people that lots of people are looking at. You know, kind of more classically trained folks. I'm sure you're inter interacting with them all the time. And even though you're saying you're a cook first and you're a welder second, you have absolutely made something that uh, that blue-collar kind of aesthetic and intention is wrapped up in. And so, like, what do you find meaningful about that? What resonates with with that specific intersection for you for me i mean it kind of brings us back to the whole how we both started out as musicians thing right like I'm, i've always been one to follow my passion i've got this horrible or wonderful habit of turning my hobbies into careers mm. or into my main focus you know like from a very young age it was obvious that i wasn't going to be you know pushing pencils for a living but for me it's all about yeah following the passion to through because like that's what you know that's what makes me happy and also i want to feel rewarded at the end of the day like when i used to i bartended and was in the service industry while i was here and i just felt i felt just so empty like i feel like i'm not accomplishing anything like handing someone a beer really just doesn't do it for me mm -hmm. but something like building that smoke around the garage that I like sweat and bled and pour my, pour my life into like something that I designed and brought to fruition and then marketed and sold. Like that's something, something so rewarding about that or any other aspect of like the barbecue scene, like learning how to butcher a pig or how to make sausage and like going through that entire sausage making process or butchery process or welding process and having something at the end where you can say like I put, my personality into that i put my stamp on that i put my education on that and even though it's just a link of sausage or a simple box cooker or chimney starter or whatever i feel like that's something valuable to me because that's something that i really worked hard on rather than just you know just trying to get by it's like thrive instead of mm. survive mm. yeah yeah Man, I remember what I was trying to say, and I got off kilter, but this is a good segue into it. So I'm, the whole reason I reference like me being in this hunting community is uh, you, you and Evan both have expressed and have started to kind of enter this interest level with, uh, you know, an even more kind of hands-on uh, expenditure and sourcing of your food right and so that's like what the catfish thing was and i saw you guys on instagram you guys have gone dove hunting and you're i mean you're down here in this place where there's all all manner of ways to hunt and things to go after but and we've talked too about kind of your brand developing more uh developing more content working with wild game and you know the your self-procurement of protein so What's attractive about that to you, and where do you see that going? I mean, like you said, I mean, it's a perfect segue because me finding fulfillment in, you know, 
cooking a pork chop that I butchered out of a pig cooked on a pit that I built is something that, you know, a lot of people don't get to experience. And it kind of, I feel, I'm sure you feel the same way when you're cooking like that ramen you made for us up in, up in Arkansas, where like, that's a bird that you went out and you got and you harvested and brought down and put your own spin, your own dish on. Like there's something so much more meaningful about that meal than anything I could get, you know, from a local restaurant or something like that. And that's kind of like the next thing, you know, it's like I started out like, Oh, I want to learn how to cook brisket or ribs or sausage. I want to learn how to cook barbecue. And it's like, okay, I learned how to do that. What's next? Okay. I want to learn how to build the smokers that I'm cooking on. And now I want to, you know, learn about local sourcing, like get these pigs from Lancito and these, all these stuff that we're doing on Leroy and Lewis and like hunting and what you're doing is kind of the next logical step in that chain. Right. It's just trying to, be in touch with what you're cooking instead of just opening a cardboard box or, a, or like a, you know, cryovac. You know, it's like understanding the entire process of a meal, I think, is kind of the dragon we're chasing. Whether it's, you know, the cooker, the wood, where the meat's coming from. And also, it's just, yeah, like I said, it's just, there's something so rewarding about it. Yeah. Man, you know what? I'm actually excited about as you kind of start going down those rabbit holes and pursuing that more is so like in the hunting world and the hunting community and industry right now, there's a lot of talk about, and I'm absolutely part of it of bringing new people into the activities and, you know, folks from quote unquote, non-traditional backgrounds. And what they mean by that is folks that aren't white men, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and, and, and what the, the aspect that folks lean into a lot is like source your own foods. They say source your own organic protein, which we could talk all day long about how most of these wild animals would not actually qualify as organic because the proliferation of GMO uh, agriculture, like most ducks, wild ducks you shoot are going to have eaten some GMO corn or rice or something. Same with any big game that's in an agricultural area like whitetail deer or something. Uh, and I love that aspect of it. And I think it's super cool and noble and it's a way to get really great quality stuff. But kind of what I'm even more excited for you to experience is for lack of a better term. Uh, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about killing critters, you know? I mean, that's, there, there's part of it that that's what we're talking about. We're talking, and I say this, maybe this is becoming something I say a lot, like snuffing out sentience. Mm-hmm. And there's a, that should have an effect on you unless you're a psychopath. Right. You know, and, it, and you know, the first time or initially the first few years or whatever, it's going to have a different effect on you than it has 10 years down the line or 20 years down the line, but it should always be impactful. And it's, it's for me, it's not just about sourcing like good quality uh, meat. It's, it's kind of taking ownership over the fact that, uh, I'm I'm participating in, in a in a violent act. If I'm eating these things, I'm participating in a violent act whether I do that directly or not. Right. You know, and there and it's not even just about being it being more honest to do it yourself. It's I really do think that uh like that very viscerally and you know kind of spiritually or something. It's it has a different impact and a different effect on you. And man, it is hard it is hard to waste 
that stuff. Right. You know, it's I, I really try and make a point of like we're gonna eat all of it. And it doesn't all have it doesn't have to be precious and particular and making making food that's, you know, fit for Instagram. Like I've got zero problem eating hamburger helper with ground venison. I've eat, eaten tons of it. Mm-hmm. I think potatoes, stroganoff, hamburger helper is some of the greatest stuff out there. Uh but just being involved in that process, you're living a more honest life. And right. I, I think it has really stupendous ripple effects in different aspects of your life too. Uh, plus, man, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a whole nother challenge. Right. Cause a lot of these methods that you're using on stuff that has a lot of fat and intramuscular, you know, kind of lubrication, you're not going to have that on, on wild game. Right. And, uh, you're going to, I mean, as great as you are, you're going to have to get so much better, man. Like, you're going to look back, I think, in a couple of years, and you're going to have lapped people that you're looking up to right now, even. Uh, I'm super excited for you, man, because it's, it's something that has been, incre- it's been transformative in my life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it, too, because like you were just saying, like, the amount of mo- emotion it takes for me to go buy a ribeye steak at the grocery store and come back and just, like, cook it like there's nothing there you know what i mean it's like and and especially for someone like me who makes a living cooking meat Mm -hmm. almost exclusively like i feel like if i didn't have some sort of ethics behind it and i try to you know i try to source locally when i can you know like when we we go to most of the pork i eat is from lancito which is where i mean this guy got a pork operation on a ranch that me and my wife were just hunting that. Yeah, yeah, we went down there too. We did a whole tour of the farm, and it's like just that aspect of like trying to stay away from commodity. And because I mean, I don't take it lightly the fact that everything, every one of the you know hundred videos I've put out is a life. You know what I mean? Yeah, they all all those animals had eyelashes. Yeah, you know? it's crazy. So it's kind of another another just way to pay respect and not look like like an asshole really like if i if i would love to have that experience like you're talking about like going out and not taking it lightly and that's kind of the the direction that we're trying to go yeah and man there's and what's so cool about it too is there's levels to it yeah you know uh and people you know i've got my opinions on this and people have this and that to say about it but uh i I see I see nothing wrong with someone introducing themselves to hunting. There are so many barriers to entry and there are so many hills to jump over that just getting access to an animal is uh is difficult for a lot of people, you know? And so if if you're dealing with uh if you're dealing with an animal that's I mean, lack of a better term, we're talking about baiting in, you know, like Texas, a lot of the deer are killed over corn, Arkansas, tons of deer are killed over corn. Um, as a way to draw them in. And even though it's not, it's not a way that is particularly, uh, resonant for me. And I'm at a stage in my hunting where it's, it doesn't necessarily give me what I'm looking for out of the activity. Uh, like if you went and sat in a blind over a feeder and you shot a doe, uh, there would be nothing ennoble about that. And I would imagine you're going to have like just a, a rush of emotions. You're going to have like an adrenaline dump. You're going to have sadness involved in it. There's going to be trepidation. You know, you'll be a little bit scared. You'll be feel proud. You'll be excited. You're like, it's all these things. Mm. Uh, and then even like whole animal butchery is, 
is different when you've like eviscerated an animal. Yeah. You know, like that's, there are smells and sounds and things that squirt at you. I mean, just doing the catfish, man, that was a, they just like, yeah, pulling all the guts out of all those cats was that I had a moment, you know what I mean? Did, did, you know, I didn't even think about that. Did you, uh, had you done much fishing before that? Yeah, mostly just catch and release, though. Okay. Just catching bass up in New Hampshire with my buddies. But that was, like, the, really the first time I've ever harvested a substantial amount of fish. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we had to dispatch those guys. And that was that was new. Man, dude, that's a really great reminder for me because I uh, – now, truthfully, most people don't have the same – we, we kind of have, like, a mammalian bias as humans. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the whole eyelash thing. Right. Like, most people – aren't that messed up about fish catching fish you know truthfully fish dying they don't get as upset about birds yeah they're not cute yeah well and they're also they're just so different than us right people start feeling having much stronger feelings when you start getting into into animals where there's not so much of a species specific differentiation you know so things that have eyelashes Things that make noises that are recognizable to us, you know, mm-hmm. that feel warm, that have hair, like all Things that Things that stuff. were once Disney characters. <laughs> yeah, the anthropomorphizing of, uh, you know, deer and bear and uh, raccoons and whatever. Or then, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff with cooking raccoons, and I think a lot of people think of me as a person who cooks stuff that other folks, cooks things that people, other folks don't want to eat, you know, so like snow geese and. You know, catfish kind of have a crummy reputation for a lot of folks. Yeah, they do. Uh, But anyway, that's to say that, yeah, I hadn't really even thought about the fact that that folks are, or I I guess I kind of forgot that folks are going to have those kind of feels with fish as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, man, it's like, and it's gross too. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, it's gross. It's also, I mean, you're taking a life. Yeah. Whether it's a fish or a deer, I mean, I definitely would probably it would have more of an impact if it was, you know, a four-legged creature as mm-hmm. opposed to a catfish. But, yeah, I mean, it's not something to be taken lightly, like you said, unless you're a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, and there's a few of those people out there, but it's, uh, it's truthfully, it's never been anybody I've inter, uh, interacted with, and I, I'd like to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done, have you worked much at all smoking, like, uh, or doing barbecue with uh, – with wild game, like lean stuff, like venison or? Not much. No, no. We've done a couple of goats. We've done, I think I, I cooked a, a, a leg from a deer one time. But, uh, yeah, really not much experience. Man, well, I've, dude, we are loaded down with uh, meat right now. I killed, I killed two deer and a good-sized hog. And then my wife last night, actually, she, uh, she took her first big game animal. She had never killed anything besides a. Uh, had squirrels man and she got a 217 pound hog so if you want man before we leave i'd love to give you a haunch of venison if you'd like to that'd be amazing everyone on the channel has been asking me for the last like year and a half like when are you gonna do some venison when are you gonna do some venison so i'd love to do yeah make a sausage out of it or something yeah dude it, it would make a make a beautiful sausage uh i've got i wonder and i don't know we kind of talked about it before when you guys were up there fishing but I'd love to do like kind of a, a half or a whole uh, deer kind of like hog style, but man, it's so lean. I think you'd have to, I wonder if you could baste it with enough of some sort of fat, like, you know, render tallow or butter or something and, 
I think you'd have to do it so much. I don't know if you'd keep the heat in. Like, I think you'd have to constantly be opening the door. Yeah. Uh, it'd be neat to figure out, though, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt at uh, Alderoy and Lewis, he had a, a deer, a, like, I think it was a hind leg last year, that he just smoked. And he cooked, like, the beef cheek, essentially, where mm-hmm. he smoked it and then confit it in beef fat. Oh, until, yeah, until yeah, yeah. Just, That's like, the way to do it, isn't it? Tear, yeah. it apart, tear apart, super tender. You know, if, if it's lean, it might be dry, but, hey, it's soaking in fat. So throw a little extra fat in there, mix it all yeah. up. Yeah, he said it was great. And you can put some crazy spices in there, too, because, you know, venison's got that flavor to it where it can really take on some more herbs and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, you know, really, man, is like North African stuff, mm. I think, works well with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all those, like, Berber spices yeah, and, yeah. and that that combination, that kind of... You know, just in my head, I think about Morocco, that uh, that di- idea of combining that sweet and savory and, like, really warm Christmassy kind of spices, like allspice and clove and nutmeg and cinnamon and, like, those kind of dried fruits that give you those molasses notes, yeah. like raisins. Man, you could do all sorts of really cool stuff. Yeah, man, we'll hook it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll take that advice and I'll make a, uh, <clears throat> I'll make a venison sausage with that flavor profile. Dude, it'd be great, man. Uh it's uh I'll tell you what you should we should I would it'd be cool if you just look into like a looking like to a, like a Moroccan stuffed pigeon. Okay. So they'll like you know they're like and I'm not talking about squab which is like a young bird. I'm talking about a more mature robust flavored bird more akin to a dove and you know they'll do these they'll stuff it with like rice and currants and yellow raisins and regular raisins and figs and yeah, you get all those weird, warm spices, man. Oh, dude, I'm stoked. I can't wait to see what you produce with that, man. I know it'll be awesome. Moroccan stuffed pigeon. All right. Spell all three of those words wrong. That's good. <laughs> yeah, just give yourself a little note, man. Yeah. Uh, well, man, I guess we have just about reached the end of our hour, and Marianne and I still have to get from Austin to Little Rock. Are you going tonight? Yeah, we're as soon as we leave here, man, we're That's a drive. driving up. I've done it. Man, yeah, I don't know – Truthfully, man, we're both pretty worn out from some long days. Might try and make it to Texarkana and crash and then make the last couple hours home first thing in the morning. My my dear sweet mother came down from St. Louis to watch her little girl so she could get them uh, off to school in the morning. But uh, yeah, one, one more night of nice sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll go away when I get home for sure. Um, well, dude, seriously, man, I've, I've, I've so enjoyed meeting you, man, and I've so, en- so enjoyed, like, watching what you're producing and learning from you and i'm stoked to see where it goes uh and i'm going to keep bugging you and evan man i really want to get you guys up uh for waterfowl season up here in arkansas man. absolutely absolutely do some cool cooking and uh how long is that season i mean you know it depends on what you're talking about like duck season is it's 60 days but there's a couple of splits in it you know i focus real heavily on speckle belly geese Mm -hmm. and so that's that's like fixing a start, and that'll run all the way to the end of January. But, like, there will be waterfowl to hunt, you know, essentially Halloween to the last day of January. And then we'll even move into conservation hunt. So, I mean, like, theoretically, it's probably till, from about Halloween till Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I'd, man, I'd love to get you guys on some speckle belly geese, man. They got great fat content. Uh, they would – like especially the legs and thighs, they'd work great with that smoking and coffee method. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make beautiful sausage out of those out of waterfowl. Lot lots of cool flavors, man. They they take uh, 
they take sage and juniper really really well Ooh, yeah you know stronger stuff fennel and the like mm-hmm. and and again i'm a big fan of because you're dealing with like really dark rich meat right with waterfowl just a hint i mean very very akin to beef but just like this little hint of wild to mm-hmm. it that i really appreciate and it takes some of those stronger flavors so you can you can work in again some of these dried fruits and stuff like I was talking to Jesse Griffiths last night about uh, like a snow goose, smoked so- snow goose sausage with dried blueberries in it. It's oh, excellent. Nice. Uh, yeah, man. And, you know, you start, especially start messing with wild game, you can get in all sorts of those uh, kind of summer sausage things, mm. hunter sausages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like the sky's kind of the limit. Uh, and, and really with wild game, man, sausage is, sausage is kind of a, a, one of the main ways to go. Right. I mean that's kind of another benefit of uh, trying to get into to this side of things. Now it's already knowing how having a decent a decent background in you know breaking down animals and sausage making. It's just I feel like it'll make life a little bit easier to make that transition. Oh no, man, you'll you'll crush it, man. Like knowing whole animal butchery is gonna put you leaps and bounds ahead of folks. Uh, you know what, really, man? I'll tell you. What, I'll tell you your next big chud project, man. You're gonna. You're gonna start hunting deer, man. You're gonna have to get you a walk walking cooler. Yeah, <laughs> I was talking to Evan, Evan about that today because, like you mentioned, that Texas monthly list is coming out, and our walking's pretty small. I'm like, man, if you just want to put one in at my house, I mean, little overflow. <laughs> man, you know, you actually you can build them for way less than you would think. Like a big insulated box, mm-hmm. like all the insulation you want. And are you familiar with those cool bot things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I've actually got some plans to to do something like that and just put a cool bot. And I used to work at a restaurant where the entire walk-in, like a big walk-in was run off a cool bot and it was amazingly efficient. Really? Oh man, blow your mind. And it was like probably a $400 uh, window unit. And that cool bot probably cost three or $400. And I mean, it, it kept that joker like beautifully cold, man. Just take the spare room upstairs, turn it into a walk-in, have some deer hanging in there. Dude, I don't think anyone in my life would be surprised if I did that. <laughs> Dude, if you did that, you'd be cooler than everybody for sure. Uh, oh, yeah, and so, man. And so, are you? Uh, are you gonna? Obviously, you're gonna continue with the uh, video creation. Are you? Are you gonna keep uh, making stuff for the public as far as like uh, some of the welding operations, or what are your plans with that? Yeah. So right now, I actually shut down uh, new orders because I've got about a hundred pits on order right now. Wow. And. Again, it's still out of my garage right now, so trying to put out all these videos, plus my work with Leroy and Lewis, and pumping out all those pits, and the orders would just keep coming in. So, mm. yeah, right now I'm trying to get caught up on the to-do list out there, and then by the time I get that caught up, I plan to open up a professional shop here in Austin where I can hire some people on and get a much more efficient system going on and just take things a little bit more seriously, offer some you know, more customization and stuff like that, hopefully a few more. Uh, I mean, you can see my whiteboard here. It's just got doodles of random new smokers I want to build. So. That's awesome. So, yeah, right now for the next year or so, it's going to be just head down, a lot of welding, keep pumping out videos, and then hopefully uh, this time next year I'll be able to open up with hopefully some shipping options on some pits and just, you know, just be a little bit more professional about it. Are there – I mean, you make the uh, you make the charcoal starter and you make the uh, tortilla press. Is that stuff that's that folks in the next six months could get? Like, if they weren't close to you, could they get that shipped? Or you think 
you're going to kind of hold off on that too. Yeah, those are ones that I try. I build in batches. Okay. So I usually build, you know, 20 or 50 of those at a time, and then I'll just throw them on the website, let everyone know. They usually sell out within 20, 30 minutes. Wow. And, uh, but that's kind of whenever I build those, it's like if I'm on hold, like if my metal, if I know my metal shop isn't going to get me the, the pipe I need for two weeks, I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's time to knock out some chimneys and stuff like that because it's just, just to stay busy. But, uh, yeah, so right now we're, I'm working with my buddy and we're trying to get all the finances figured out to renting a new spot, hiring up a new, an, another person or two. And cause I'd love to just start being able to, have that full inventory on the website for that kind of stuff too yeah well man uh i mentioned it earlier man but give me a little heads up if you don't mind man and uh, <laughs> let me get a let me get a pre-order in on the uh the chimney and the uh the tortilla press because yeah man i watched your video on the on uh the tortilla press and making the tortillas and i was like that's what i need in my life man. yeah dude the homemade tortillas we were talking about way at the beginning of this thing like that first uh homemade flour tortilla i had when i moved to austin was life-changing and that's how it, that's what it turned into and uh that fajita video i did the other day mm-hmm. i used that wagyu beef fat and that was one of the best tortillas i've ever had it was just so fluffy it was just like it's hard to beat a good tortilla man dude i'm man i'm oh i'm thinking of all the possibilities man i'm stoked for you man i'm super appreciate your time man glad you guys came up and uh went fishing and yeah let's hopefully we can get you guys up and get you after some birds this year yeah how's your january looking uh january we could man we could make something happen if you guys get up there january uh, we'll figure something out we'll january. Talk about i gotta go to i think i've got i've got hunters leaving on like january 3rd and then i've got to drive to utah to go elk hunting for seven days and then drive back because i got as soon as i get back i've got more clients coming mm-hmm. but uh yeah, we'll, we'll work something out. We can make we, something we got to get back up there. We've both been itching, itching to get up there and uh, get some of those specs you're always talking about. Man, yeah, dude. And you lay out there in a field, man, and have 10,000 birds on top of you and then take them home. And then you uh, – and I feel bad too, man, because those specs that I gave you guys, like when I was eating, I was like, oh, man. Because I just had them in Ziplocs. I had them vac sealed. And I was like, oh, I can taste the freezer on this a little bit. Like when they're fresh, dude, like it's – it's like eating a bacon wrapped filet if you just sear the breast up beautifully, mm-hmm. and then those, those legs, those legs and thighs are where they're at, man. There's, I mean, people will fist fight you for the spec <laughs> legs and thighs. But uh, anyway, uh, how do people get a hold of you or consume your content or? Yeah, it's uh, Chud's BBQ across the board. You can go to chudsbarbecue.com. I've got a little submission form on there if you have a specific question. Instagram is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me if you just want to. You know, show me what you're cooking or shoot me a quick question. Other than that, I also have a Patreon page, but yeah, pretty easy to find me. There's not too many Chud's barbecues in the world. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, again, man, so uh, so glad to have met you, and thanks for uh, letting me come over to your house and talk to you for a little while. Absolutely, man. man. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, likewise, bud. All right, we'll talk to you later. Right on. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. If you enjoyed it, as always, a five-star review or subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to helps out tremendously. This podcast is produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. And the title music is provided by Dr. Bionic of Cincinnati, Ohio. 
if you're interested in finding out more about Black Duck Revival or what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at Black Duck Revival or go to the website, blackduckrevival.com. We still have a few spots available for some goose and duck hunts this season. And starting in the spring, we'll be offering some more of those backwater bayou catfish excursions. So I'd love to have you down for an adventure. Again, thanks for listening. See you soon.